He wakes up with the jolt. The dream, it was so real. And he, he looks around in the dark, he's wondering if anybody else notices. This has been happening so consistently. Every night, the same dream. I can't get it out of my mind. I mean, I, I promise. I made a commitment. And then, then when the, the, the time was, I let him down. about anyway. I mean, why did it have to end this way? And everything was going so perfectly, and then it just all starts unraveling. He told us it would happen, but we didn't believe him. We didn't think it would end like this. I mean, so tired and so exhausted. It wasn't condemning, it wasn't judging, it was just so full of love. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? I hate you. Why does that girl just keep her mouth shut? (coughs) I can still see her face, I can still hear her words. Oh, he's one of them. Oh, he's with them. Any of you guys ever felt like that? Where something happens and you just go, oh, I can't believe that I did that. I can't believe that I said that. I can't believe that happened. And when something like that happens, we have some choices, don't we? And we've been talking about this. Um, How do we respond? If anybody had the right to hunker down and just survive for the rest of his life, it, mu- it would be Peter. I mean, anybody who just, just, you know, epically failed, it was Peter. He had the one chance, and he stood up and he said, if everybody else denies you, I'm not going to, and yet he did. And yet when we look at Peter's life, we realize that Peter, Peter didn't just hunker down and survive, did he? Peter thrived. Peter had a life that was just a thriving, dynamic life. Well, how did that happen? I want to go through some things this morning that I think are critical parts of what has to happen in our life if we are going to be people who thrive. We don't thrive just because we go, okay, I raised my hand, I want to thrive. There's things that need to happen in our lives so that we can be people who actually go through life and thrive as we go through life. Some of them are really fundamental, and you're going to go, well, duh, Dave. Um, But, you know, I'm I'm not the smartest man in the world. I just read it and just tell you what it says. Um, So we're going to be in the book of Matthew. I want to walk through a lot of Peter's life. Some of the stuff we're going to read, some I'm just going to tell you about. Um, But if we get into Matthew 4, starting with verse 18, this is obviously the first thing that needs to happen 
for any of us to have a life where we thrive. It says in verse 18 of Matthew 4, Now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Three things I want us to notice with this passage. One is, is that, that they were called. I mean, each of us here have been called. Unless the Spirit calls, we can't respond to, to the calling of God. So all of us have heard the voice of the Spirit. And if you haven't, if you're here going, oh, I don't know about this, this Christianity thing. I don't know about this Jesus thing. God is calling you. God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants you to spend eternity with him. Respond to that call. Those of us that have responded to that call, that's the, that's the first step of having a life to thrive. He's calling us. He's calling us because he has a purpose for us. And we need to respond to that call. We need to respond to that call, but then it's not just responding to the call. And this is a challenge in our culture today, isn't it? Because you can hear a call on the TV, you can hear a call on the radio. I mean, people you know, say, here's the magic prayer you pray, and then we say that prayer over TV and send some money in and you're good. Well, that's not just that. Certainly there's a call. Certainly we make a commitment to the Lord. Certainly we come and say, you know, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from Christ because of my sin. I know that Jesus died and he rose so that I could have eternal life. He paid the price for my sin. I know that that's true, and I respond to that message. I respond to the calling of the Holy Spirit to come in and forgive me for my sin. But Jesus, but Jesus took it farther than that. There's another step that's critical than just responding to the call because Jesus was walking by the sea and he said to them, he said, follow me and I will become, and I will help you become fishers of men or I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. So not only do we respond to the call, but we need to follow Jesus. We need to follow him. It's a daily walk that we spend with him every day, following him, talking to him, listening to him, experiencing life with him, seeing things that are going on, failing, having him correct us. We follow him on a daily basis. Jesus said, follow me, and I'm going to change your life. That is so important, you guys. You can't just come here on Sunday morning, listen to something for an hour, worship, sing some songs, and then leave and spend the next 23, uh, six days and 23 hours, I got math, in the world. And then expect somehow that you're going to thrive in life. It doesn't work that way. You need to spend 24-7 walking with Jesus because Jesus is going to fill you and empower you. So respond to his call, but walk with him. And then as you're walking with him, you're going to know that um, things are going to happen. You're going to grow and you're going to learn. He says, I'm going to help you, or I'm going to make you become fishers of men. He didn't just say, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to become fishers of men. There's going to be a process where what I've called you to is going to happen in your life. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? He's called you to a purpose. Each one of you are uniquely created you. We talked about this last week. You're uniquely created you. The exciting thing about the body of, of God, the body of Christ, is that all of us are different. Some are hands, some are legs, some are eyes, some are teeth. We're all different. But when we come together, we become Christ. And we all fit together. We don't fight with each other. We don't combat each other. We don't go, oh, because I'm, you're not an eye, you're not important. I mean, we know that everybody's important 
And when we come together, we're able to fulfill what God's called us to. So we need to respond when he calls us, and we need to follow him. And as we follow him, we're going to grow and learn. And I want to walk through a couple of things that I think um, are just helpful in the whole process of growing and learning. Because it's a process of learning. So we, when we go through Matthew, and I'm just going to go through Matthew. It happened to be the first gospel I got to, um, and it was really good. So I thought, well, that makes sense. So we're going to stay in Matthew for, for most of the time today. So in Matthew 8, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Okay? So I, mean, I don't know what Peter felt about that. He might go, oh, don't, don't, don't do that. But may, maybe not. I mean, but, but he heals his mother-in-law. And, and, and that's, that's a pretty cool thing. And then, then they're out on the sea. And you know the story. I mean, they're in the boat, and waves are crashing in over the boat, and they're bailing out, and the waves coming in faster than they're bailing out, and they look up in the bow, and Jesus is sacked out, sleeping. You know the story, right? And they keep bailing, and they're sinking, and they're sinking, and finally they go to Jesus and go, man, don't you care that we're perishing? You know, and he wakes up, and he yawns, and he goes, what's your problem, you guys? I have no faith. And then he stands up, and he calms the sea, blows their mind. That's a learning experience, right? You think you might go, wow, this guy's something special. What a learning experience. You think they would have experienced how powerful Jesus was if they weren't in that boat sinking? You know what happens? We get in the boat and we're sinking. We don't call out to Jesus. We just go under. They call out to Jesus. Jesus calms the sea. You know, we go through those experiences where Jesus allows us to be in places where he can calm the storm. We go, And then he called the 12 and he gave them authority. And then they ask a lot of questions through all the Gospels. I mean, they're always asking questions. Why are you talking in parables? And why don't you just say something the way it is? And, why do you, and can you explain that parable? And that didn't even make any sense. So they're always asking him questions. And he's always talking to them. And he's always explaining what he's doing and why he's doing it. And then in Matthew 14, I think this is worth kind of looking at. Okay, so let's turn together to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, starting in verse 13. And you have to kind of uh, get a context. In fact, we're probably going to start in verse 22. Verse 13 talks about Jesus um, going off to be alone. The disciples were tired. He was tired. Wanted to go to a secluded place to pray. And like always, everybody saw him going, and so they beat him there. And when he got there, there's all these people. And Jesus had compassion on them. And he started ministering to them. And he started to take care of them. And the disciples were pretty worn out. I'm thinking, I'm reading in between the lines on this one. But... Um, they probably came to Jesus, you know, piously going, Jesus, these people are probably hungry, you know, and, and why don't you just send them away so that they can get something to eat? Because they're, they're done. And that's the best way to get rid of the people is to give Jesus a good reason. And Jesus goes, you feed them. They go, we can't feed them, just get rid of them. And so they end up feeding them. Then, immediately after that, in verse 22, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. So he, and he says, okay, guys, you don't even have to deal with them anymore. Just You can head over to the other side. And then it says, and verse 23, and he had sent the crowds away. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Great example to follow. Daily, getting away, alone to pray. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves from the wind, and before the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. But Peter said to him, and, and you guys, 
Who thinks this way? I mean, really, who thinks this way? I mean, you're in a boat. You see somebody walking on the water. He says, it's me, Jesus. Who in their right mind would say this? Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. I mean, who says that? Hey, Jesus, just let me walk on the water to you, okay? Man, would you even think of that? Would that even enter your mind? It wouldn't enter mine. I mean, I, it would never occur to me to say that. <laughs> Maybe he was hoping Jesus would say, no, that's okay, Peter. But Jesus said, come. And then he gets out of the boat. I mean, he gets out of the boat. And he walks on the water. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons about this, but I haven't heard a lot of sermons where pastors get really excited about the fact that Jesus walked on the water. Can you, guys, can you guys feel that? I mean, turn to the person next to you and say, that is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. He walked on the water. He walked on the water. I mean, if, if you think that's no big deal, I'm going to take a trip out to the pier in Balboa, and we're just going to step off the pier and see how long, it, how many people end up walking on water, okay? Any volunteers? Me first? <laughs> I'm amazed. <laughs> And so it says, but seeing the wind, he became frightened and began sinking, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got in the boat, the wind stopped. Blew the disciples' mind again. I mean, listen, you guys. There are times where God allows us to have amazing experiences. If we trust him, if we'll take chances. And certainly, sometimes we get into experiences that just freak us out because they're way beyond our capacity to figure out. I mean, I can't even comprehend walking on the water. I mean, I've been in water that's, that's stormy and waves are crashing over the bow and, and stuff like that. I would never, not even with a ski vest, think about getting out of the boat and walking to shore or walking to anywhere. Lately, that Peter did it. That's amazing. I don't know, I wasn't in the boat, but I'll bet you money that when Peter got in that boat, the, the apostles high-fived him. And they went, oh, Peter, that was awesome, that was awesome. And he learned, I mean, he learned that, that, that when, when God's doing amazing things, when God is doing stuff that we can't comprehend, that we look around and go, man, this is totally out of control. Of course it's out of control, because you're doing something that only God can do. I mean, it's like, so how do you walk on water? He didn't write a book, The Ten Steps to Walking on Water by Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's only God can do that. I mean, that's, that's an amazing learning experience that, that, that Jesus allowed Peter to be a part of. And then there's some experiences that weren't <laughs> so physical that were a little more spiritual. So if we turn over a page to chapter 16, we see Peter um, re responding to some of Jesus' questions or question that Jesus made. In uh, chapter 16 of Matthew, starting at verse 13, says, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? Silence. Nobody said anything. So Peter goes, oh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You know what happens when you walk with Jesus? You get tuned in to the Holy Spirit. You get tuned in 
to what God's all about. We get to tune in to what God is doing. And that was, was what was happening in Peter's life. He recognized who Jesus was. And, and Jesus acknowledged that. And then he goes on and he says, I, I also say to you that you are Peter. And you remember his name used to be Simon, right? He changed it to Peter. Because he had a purpose for Peter. And he says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. So here is Peter recognizing who Jesus is. And then Jesus saying, Peter, I have a purpose for you. I have a call for you. As you walk with me, as you learn with me, as you grow with me, you are going to accomplish unbelievable things. I have a purpose for you. And you recognize that it's all about me, not about you. And then they go on and they say, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples in verse 21 that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now Peter, who just realized how important he was, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's interests. Now listen, here's the deal. Anytime we are not setting our minds on God's interests, who is leading us? If we're setting our minds on, our mind on man's interests, and if we're doing what man says we should do, who is the, the, the um, ruler of this world? I mean, we're, we're surprised because things are happening the way they're happening today when we decided to take God out of our culture. And I go, wow, what a shock. I read Facebook the other day. Somebody says, why is there so much hate? I, I couldn't help it. I, I, said, I replied, well, if you take God out of the culture and if God is love, what do you have left? I mean, it, it's, it, it's what it is. And so, so Peter learned a very valuable lesson, a critical lesson. You need to set your mind on the things above. How do you set your mind on the things above? You have to be with Jesus every day. You have to follow him. You can't do it one hour, one day a week. It doesn't work. You can't set your mind on the things of man for six days and 23 hours, set your mind on the things of God for one hour, and hope that somehow transformation happens in your life and you thrive. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. It's, it won't happen. But when we set our mind on the things of the Lord, amazing things happen. And then other things happen in the, you know, in the, the lives of the, the disciples that were just really cool. I mean, I would love to have just experienced the transfiguration, but that would have even been cooler than walking on water. I mean, can you imagine experiencing what that must have been like? And the interesting thing is, as I was studying this, I was reading John, and I, I, I'm sure I've read this before, but the disciples were sleeping. I mean, Jesus called them up to the mountain and they were praying and these guys fell asleep. It, was, it wasn't just the garden. I'll bet you they fell asleep on Jesus a bunch of times. And you know, it makes sense to me. I don't know if you guys are wired this way, but in my life, I just kind of go 100 miles an hour. You know, and I just go, 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 go. And then I sit down and I just go, punk. You know, there are some people like that, right? It's like, go, go, go. But man, the minute we sit down, we just go, punk. I, it drives my wife crazy. She's talking to me at night, and all of a sudden she goes, Dave, Dave. She goes, let's pray. I go, we got to sit up if we're going to pray. I mean, I, mean, I need to stand up, because I can't, I can't lay down and talk to you. It doesn't work. It's like 
like talking to her with the TV on. Turn the TV off. We can't watch this and listen to you. I just, my mind doesn't work that way. But, but I can imagine these guys. But the transfiguration must have been amazing. And then, of course, they do the stuff. They argue about who's greatest. And mothers get involved. You know how that is. They come to Jesus and go, hey, you know, when you're in the kingdom, can you just kind of make one of my sons on your left side, one of my sides on your right side? And you guys have never done that, right, mothers? Oh, could you give her this part? Because she's just so good at this part. And could you have him play this position? Because, you know, he's a really good shortstop. And if you hit him in third place, I mean, put him in the third spot. I mean, you, could, I mean, you tend to do that. Well, the mothers did that. God would cause all kinds of grief for the disciples, and they started fighting over who was greatest and all that kind of stuff. We have the experience at the garden, and then we have Peter's denial. So, I mean, we have a lot of stuff that happened in their lives. Some stuff really impressive, some stuff exciting, and stuff some, some things were, that were challenging, growing experiences. And the thing that we need to understand as people, when we thrive in life, that doesn't mean that we just start and everything is just really good. It means that we go through learning experiences. In some ways... To learn are by experiencing difficulties. And when we see God work us through difficulties and we come out the other side, we go, wow. And then we see what God does that, that, that for good in that experience, we are even more amazed that God could take this disaster and do something positive out of it. And he does it all the time. We just have to believe him for it. We just have to understand that he is God and we're not. That he's in control and we're not. That he knows what's going on and we don't. When we get that, we can thrive. When we get that, we can be in tough situations, and we can know that God is taking us through that. Are you with me? Amen. So, we need to respond when we're called. We need to walk with Jesus. We need to grow and learn. And then the next step that needs to happen, let's turn to John 21. Because I think this is really awesome what Jesus does with uh, Peter. In John 21, we're going to start in verse 1. And I just want to walk through the, the, the impact that Jesus had on Peter's life. And I think this was, was transformational for Jesus. And we need to understand this. Because this is a thing that makes all the difference in our lives. Is when we are responsive to the grace of God. When the grace of God comes to us, we receive it. Because that, that's God's grace. It's undeserved. It's unearned. We, can, we, we don't deserve what he does for us. And so, so Jesus uh, manifests himself in verse 1 to the disciples on the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of, Ga of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. That is almost all of them. I didn't do the math, but it's pretty close. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll, we'll come also with you. And they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now this is very typical, isn't it, of us? Things happen, things ha we, just, we epically fail, life just starts going south, things just don't happen the way we think they should happen, and what is the human tendency to do? What did the Israelites do when they got into the wilderness and things happened the way that, that, that they didn't want to have happen? Things were going a little bit different than what they planned. What'd they say? We should go back to Egypt. I mean, at least in Egypt we had a place to sleep. At least in Egypt we had some food. Things were so much better in Egypt. I mean, I don't even know why we cried to the Lord for hundreds of years to get us out of Egypt. It's way better than we thought it was. Isn't that true? We just so gravitate towards what used to work for us, what was comfortable for us. 
And all of a sudden, things go badly for us, and we start reverting back to some of the old things. You know, if I just stop by at the bar on the way home, have a couple of drinks, that will help me feel so much better. Man, if I just, if I just take these pills, I mean, they just help me relax. They help me feel better. They help me get a good night's sleep. If, if, I, if, if I just, just tune out everything, and, and if I just watch TV all day, all that stuff will go away. If I just pour myself into my career and just drive myself to success, I won't have to worry about all that stuff, all that failure, all that stuff that's going on. We just go back to the old stuff that worked before we came to Christ. It doesn't work. What happened when they went fishing? Let me read it. They fished all night long and they caught nothing. Say it together. Nothing. What are you going to catch if you go back to your old life and try to do it your old way? Nothing. Turn to the person next to you. Say, nothing. Are we together? It doesn't work. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 5, so Jesus said to them, Children, do you not have any fish, do you? They said, No. Why? Because I, called you, I was making you fishers of who? Man, did he, was he making them fishers of fish? No. So if they're fishers of men, how are they going to catch fish? How they can catch men in the sea? They're not. That's not what he called them to. And he said to them, cast the net to the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. And so they cast it over. They got so much stuff, it wouldn't hold it. Then the disciple, said, who Jesus loved, said to Peter in verse 7, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, and he threw himself into the sea. That was unbelievable. Again, do you think Peter was just stoked to see Jesus? Do you think Peter had a ton of stuff to unload? I'll bet you when Peter got to the shore, he got Jesus all wet. I mean, he just grabbed him and just didn't want to let him go. The other disciples came in the little boat, for they were a little bit off the land. So when they got on the land, they saw some charcoal. Verse 10, Jesus said, bring some fish. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Verse 13, Jesus took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. 14, this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. 15, here's where I want you to get it. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know what I would have said? Simon, son of John, I told you so. Now do you believe me? Are you done with your egotistical little life? I told you you would mess up. I mean, how many of us do that, right? And if we don't say, I, so, I told you so, we give that look. Told you so. I mean, we just love that, don't we? We love to go, I told you so. Jesus doesn't even go there. Jesus doesn't even go into Peter's past. Where does Jesus take Peter? Peter, do you love me right now? Do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, tend my lambs. Do what I called you to do. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of, of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. I've heard a lot of messages on this, but listen, you guys. 
Sometimes Jesus needs to ask us questions a bunch of times for us to believe that it's true. I wonder if, if the first time Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you, if he really believed it. I mean, he, he epically screwed up. I mean, how many of us, when, when, when we just mess up, we go, I, I don't know if I, if I could, if God, Jesus would ever forgive me. And Jesus, Jesus wants Peter to understand, you are forgiven. Don't camp out in your past. I mean, how often do we camp out in our past? How often do we live in the past of the things that we've done and we relive the things that we did and we re-experience the things that we did and we limit ourselves because of the things that we did? We don't let God take us into the future because we're too busy camping out with Satan in the things that we did. And Satan is the one who's condemning us and judging us and keeping us there locked up. And Jesus says, I'm going to take you from where you are today. I don't care what you did. Because I have a calling for you in the future that has nothing to do with the past. Do you love me? Yes. Then tend my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Then shepherd my flock. Peter denied him three times. Peter got to tell him he loved him three times. And then Jesus took him from where he was today to what Jesus had called him to be. See, if we're going to be people who are thriving, we need to be people who are moving to what Jesus is calling us to be, not about what we were in the past. The past is forgiven. The presence is the work that God's doing in our life and the love relationship he wants to have so that he can do what he wants to do in us in the future. Amen? And then we can live a life that's a thriving life. Man, that is such good news to me. Because I tell you, I have epically messed up. And if I had to make up for all of the mess that I've created in my life, man, I, I would never get out from under the pile. But praise God for his grace. Because I don't have to earn it. I don't have to deserve it. And I don't. Because if I had to earn it and I deserve it, there wouldn't be me up here right now. I'll guarantee you that. But because of his grace, and because he takes us where we are today and moves us into where he wants to use us to glorify his name and to further his purposes, we get to be people who thrive. I mean, that is such good news. And Satan does not want that to happen. He wants us to camp out in the, in the mistakes that we've made. He wants to live in our past and be shackled by what we've done. Unforgiven and not free. And then the last couple things real quick are in the book of Acts. If we just turn the page to Acts 2, we're responsive to grace, and we need to understand that the power to do what God calls us to do isn't up to us. We need to be empowered by being obedient to what God has called us to do. And really what Jesus told them to do didn't make a lot of sense. Just go up into this room and wait for me. But they did. And it says in Acts 2.1 that the day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. It's the Spirit that empowers us. And that's the good news. When God calls us, God is going to empower us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. There's a continual filling of the Holy Spirit in our life. The question is, do we appropriate it? And then the second question is, not only do we need to be empowered, but then we need to take action with the power that we have. 
I mean, what would have happened if the disciples would have sat in that room and gone, this is cool. I mean, just let's just sit here and see how often that flame just goes around and lands on us, you know? Let's see how many different languages maybe we can talk in. I mean, let's see what, let's see what happens. That, this is really nice. Close the doors, keep all those people out. I mean, this is fun. I like this. How effective would that have been? Would there be a, a, life, a, a life that would be thriving if that's what they did? But they took action. If we go to, to verse 13, 14, it says, Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them. Couple, one thing I want you to recognize. Peter did what? He took his stand with what? The eleven, right? What a difference. What did Peter say to Jesus before he denied him three times? If everybody else denies you, I'm not. I can stand alone. I can be the sole survivor. Well, you know, biblically, that doesn't work. Biblically, it's when we stand together that, that the Lord works. When we come together as a body and we experience a full fullness of the body. So Peter stands with the eleven. And then he says, men of Judea, all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. And then he goes on and he, he preaches a message. It's an, it's an empowered message. I don't think he went to seminary. I don't think he took all the Pharisaic classes to learn the Torah. I don't, he just learned as he was walking with Jesus. And then as he's empowered with the Holy Spirit, he's able, he's able to preach the word in a powerful way. And it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. They respond to the call. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and on that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Not bad for a first-time preacher. He's never done it before. 3,000 souls, empowered by the Holy Spirit to take action, to do what he was called to do, be a fisher of men. Peter was thriving in his life, in a, a situation where he easily could have hunkered down and done nothing. And then the last thing I want us to look at as we wrap this thing up is, is, is the critical element of who's in charge of all this anyway. And this is the thing that gets in the way for most of us human beings. So Peter and John were going up to the temple, chapter 3, verse 1 of Acts. On the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, you guys know the story. A man who had been lame from his mother's womb and had been carried along, whom they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when Jesus and when when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixing his gaze on him, and he said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. Now here's what happens when you're empowered and you're being used of the Lord. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Amen. Amen. 
when we're thriving and God is doing a work, people praise God. There's, there's, there's praising of God that goes on, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he was still clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. Now this is where Peter's growth has happened. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you just delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. And then he goes on and he says, that was the power that, that, that made this guy walk. So here's the deal, man. We have a choice to thrive in life. And there's a process. First of all, he's called us. We respond to that call. He's called us to follow him. So we follow him. He doesn't go, hey, I'm going over this way. I go, you know what? I really don't like that way. This really works better for me. It doesn't work better. We follow him. We grow and we learn as we follow him. And then we understand that in the midst of it, we are going to make some epic mistakes. We are going to do things that we shouldn't do. We're going to make mistakes. That's part of being human. But by grace, we're saved. Not by works. That none of us should boast. We can come to him and be forgiven and we can start where we're at, and he's going to take us to the future that he has for us. And we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We come and we rest in the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us where he wants us to go, to do what he wants us to do. If he doesn't want us to go there, he's probably not going to empower us while we're there. Amen? But if he wants us where he wants us, and we are where he wants us, we are going to be empowered to do what he called us to do. We can be excited about that. And then we can take action. You know, he calls us and we go, well, you know what, I don't know about that. That's not my plan. Sometimes he asks us to do little things that um, don't make a whole lot of sense, like love your husbands, submit to your husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, love your neighbor, do not be angry. We go, ah, I don't want to do that. I want the big stuff, God. Give me the big stuff. But you can't even do the little stuff. I'm not going to give you the big stuff until you get the little stuff down. And as we're faithful in the little stuff and we experience the power in the little stuff, he starts giving us more things that we can do as we experience his power. I mean, Jesus, Jesus took Peter through that path. I mean, Peter did some stuff at the beginning, but man, that walking on water thing was pretty awesome. And he took Peter through a progression of watching him be faithful. And Peter epically messed it up, and yet Jesus took him and moved him from that point to a life that was amazing. And Jesus even took him, and I didn't read it, but when Jesus... Um, said, do you love me, shepherd my sheep? He says, well, you know what? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to be led where you don't want to go. You're going to be put in chains and you don't want to be there. You're going to die in a way that you don't like. That You're not going to have a pleasant future. Well, I don't know about that, God. I mean, that's, that's, not, my, that's not my ideal thriving. And yet Peter moved down a path towards that end that Jesus told him would be the end result of his walking in obedience. And he ended up standing up after he was filled with the Spirit and preached. And the second time after he healed those people, uh, that, that guy at the, the, um, the entrance to the temple, 5,000 more men met the Lord. 8,000 people in a couple days come to the Lord because Peter 
began to do what God called them to do, to be a fisher of men. When he wanted to be a fisherman, he went out and fished all night long and caught nothing. When he became a fisher of men, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit and 8,000 men came to the saving grace of God. So what's your choice? You want to do it your way or you want to do it God's way? God's way, amen? Because we can thrive in the midst of doing it God's way. And he gets the glory. It's his power. You guys, we are in a, a, a spiritual battle. And we're going to thrive in the midst of the spiritual battle. And we're going we're gonna to close in prayer. And, um, you know, our country is in a place that, that um, we haven't been in in quite a while. You know, there's another shooting, I guess, this morning. Three more police officers were shot in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I mean, um, who, this is crazy, you know? Um, and, and we need to be a people who thrive in the midst of this because we are the light in the midst of darkness. We are the light in the midst of, of all that our culture is doing to say God is dead and there is no God. And we're the ones who can stand in the midst of that and declare that there is a God. And there's going to be opportunities for us to share with people as a result of this. You know, as a result of what, what's going on all over the world. We have, we have a message of hope. And this is the opportunity for us to thrive in the midst of chaos. But I tell you, it won't happen if you're not grounded in your relationship with Jesus. It happens when you walk with him daily. You spend time with him. And next week we're going to get into it a little more deeply on, on how to do the nuts and bolts of that. So, so make sure you're here next week because we're going to really talk about how that, how that becomes a part of your daily life. Right now I want to spend some time praying for the situation in Louisiana and also the aftermath of Texas, and then we've got the stuff in France. I mean, there's so much that has gone on um, this week that, um, you know, it's, it's just out of our control. Let's pray together.